Good morning, everyone. Greet you all in Jesus' name. It's special to uh, be together here with you on this uh, communion morning. We uh, <clears throat> Rich referred to the uh, scripture from 1 Corinthians 11 where it <clears throat> where he Jesus uh, instituted the the communion service and he said this do in remembrance of me and we certainly want to remember and think often not just a couple of times a year of what Jesus has done for us but that's why we're together here this morning and uh, one translation at least <clears throat> Uh, includes the thought of affectionate remembering, affectionately remembering. And certainly it, it, uh, it needs to uh, evoke in us a, a, a stirring of, of love and response to, uh, to Jesus for what he's done. And as we remember Jesus and what he has done, if, if we really remember him as we should, uh, it brings us to worship him. And, and to worship him is to, to follow him. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 10. I want to read a few verses beginning at verse 11 from John 10. I'll be reading from the, the, the New King James, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. In this chapter, the earlier verses, Jesus talks about himself as the door. He is the entrance into the safety of the sheepfold, into salvation and the kingdom of God. But here he describes himself as a shepherd. And we who are today remembering Jesus' sacrifice, remember him not just as any shepherd, but the good shepherd and not a good shepherd, as in, though, as though he were one of numerous good shepherds, but he is the 
good shepherd. We know him as the best of all shepherds, the shepherd of shepherds, the only savior of mankind. And as we think of him this morning, we want to notice some of the qualities that he has, that he showed in his life and in his sacrifice uh, as we remember him this morning. And one of the first ones that he emphasizes there in John, John 10 is that he cares for the sheep. And he makes a, a huge contrast between himself between the good shepherd and the hireling. The hireling doesn't care about the sheep. That's obvious from this scripture. He has no interest in the sheep. He has no investment in them. He doesn't own them. His care extends only as far as his paycheck. And taking care of the sheep is only a job. And he'll stick with it as long as it's safe as long as it's not too uncomfortable, and as long as he's getting paid. But uh, when danger shows up, he's gone. When a, wolf when a wolf shows up, he flees. And this isn't just a story, uh, but a wolf did come to Israel, to the sheep of Israel, actually against all mankind the wolf from hell and uh, the, the devouring destroyer, the devil, Satan. And he attacked the unprotected sheep and he caught sheep and he scattered sheep. One translation says he sent them flying. And no doubt some of them were killed, many were wounded, many were lost. They were all scattered. In the, uh, in the Northwest, uh, wolves are a hot topic. And um, I was reading an article not too long ago about them. On one hand, there are the animal rights folks, uh, the, the uh, tree people and so on, nature lovers, and those who admire the noble wolf in the wild, and they want the wolves protected. On the other hand are the farmers and the ranchers with flocks and herds, and uh, they know what wolves do to livestock. And to them, the wolves are vicious predators, and with reason. They, they're losing flocks from their flocks and herds. And Jesus saw the scattered sheep of Israel chased by the wolf. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The English Standard Version says they were harassed and helpless. Jesus saw the scattered, the harassed and helpless sheep of the whole world, not just Israel. He said there in John 10, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
and that includes us, the Gentiles of the 21st century. We have been scattered too, and we have been lost. And these scattered sheep, tangled in sin, and with the effects, in the effects of sin, in the bondage of sin, and troubled with conflict and tension and anxieties and stresses that came because of sin, the troubles and the pain and the hurt and the suffering that, that is part of our life here. And Jesus is the answer. He is the shepherd. But thinking again about these sheep, uh, we do need to remember this point that we can't blame it all on the wolf, on the devil. He is the prime mover. He was the one who brought, who uh, tempted Eve and, and uh, was the facilitator of the fall. And he is the great and evil influencer in the world. But man makes choices. Sheep make choices. And uh, they often follow their own selfish desires. And Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament saw scattered sheep in uh, his inspired prophecy. In Ezekiel 34, he addresses this problem and um, not only what he saw, but what he saw for in the in the future, and he foretold a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, and there are other places in the Old Testament that refer to this as well, but in, in verse 5 of Ezekiel 34, and so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. And then in the next verses, uh, he addresses the shepherds of Israel, the supposed to be shepherds of Israel, and he condemns them. Uh, <clears throat> And then he says in verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Those who were to be the shepherds had become wolves in shepherd's clothing. They were actually hirelings, the selfish leaders of Israel. And that was true not only in Ezekiel's time, but it was in Jesus' day. And they were arrayed against Jesus throughout that sham trial before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. And they were crying out false charges motivated by jealousy and hatred and malice. But Ezekiel prophesied 
that a shepherd will be looking for his scattered sheep to gather them into the fold. And that is the good shepherd of John 10. And he is still seeking his sheep. He is seeking his sheep here this morning. Jesus said in Luke 15, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Of course he's looking for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He owns them. The hireling doesn't. The shepherd was the creator. The shepherd is the redeemer. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <clears throat> The good shepherd cares for the sheep. He sees the scattered sheep. He is moved with compassion for them. He pursues them to bring them into the fold. Another thing that impressed me about the good shepherd was that he was surrendered to the will of the Father. At any point in this whole process of the trial and crucifixion, Jesus could have said no. He could have said enough. This stops here and goes no further. But, but he was resolute from the beginning. In uh, chapter 9 of Luke, in verse 51, when he knew that the time was come that he should be heading to Jerusalem, that the end was near and the time of his sacrifice was getting coming close. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew the desperate need of the lost sheep for a savior for redemption. And he knew the plan and the purpose for his, for his coming here to the earth. And he knew also what was ahead. And he knew the agony that he must endure. Uh, after the triumphal entry in John 12, he said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. No, he wouldn't ask that question. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled, but he surrendered to the will of the Father. 
in Luke 22, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. But he continued steadfastly on following God's plan. And in the garden when he was betrayed to the mob, he mentioned to them that he had a way out if he chose to take it. He said in Matthew 26, verse 53, Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Now the song says that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But it's not entirely certain how many uh, angels 12 legions would be. One source suggests maybe 72,000 uh, if based on the uh, size of a Roman legion about the time of, in Jesus' time. But regardless uh, of how many 12 legions were, it would have been way more than enough to destroy the world and set him free, like the song says. But he resolutely continued on into the storm of suffering. Isaiah 50, uh, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. We, ad we admire that resolute determination in the face of this terrible agony that he was about to endure and then endured, and through the enduring, to go all the way to the end, to accomplish God's will, God's plan. And we remember his suffering, the agony that he endured. The psalmist gives us a prophetic window into Jesus' suffering from, from Jesus' perspective in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. 
They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue me. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And a few verses later, in verse 12, picking up in verse 12, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Jesus suffered terrible agony. And we know the, uh, we know the story. We know the hateful words that were said, the scornful mocking, the fists, the whip, the crown of thorns, the cross, the agony of the cross. We remember his suffering. And he died. The good shepherd gave his life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Paul spoke of this in Romans about Jesus' offering in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How remarkable that God would die for sinful people, ugly, sick, undesirable specimens of humanity, not what God created them to be. He gave his life and he laid it down voluntarily. It's emphasized in that shepherd passage. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus was given instructions by the father, authorized by the father, and with the authority of the father, he laid down his life and he could take it up again. It was his choice. 
his decision. The great shepherd of the sheep. He laid down his life voluntarily of his own free will for a sacrifice for the sheep. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless and empty conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Hebrews 9, uh, verse 12 through 14, say this, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This happened, all of this happened because he loved us. Rich read John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the good shepherd loves the sheep. In John 13, in the feet washing chapter, which we'll probably hear a little later this morning, it says that John loved his disciples. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And some translations <coughs> say he loved them to the fullest extent. The, the human way of loving is to love till the love runs out. And that's how they would think. It just ended. So he left his wife because the love ended. She wasn't so nice anymore. He, she didn't please him anymore. We walk away from a relationship because love ended. But Jesus' love didn't end. His love never runs out. He is love. He loved to the fullest extent. He's, he fulfilled his purpose by providing that great salvation through his sacrifice, through his broken body and shed blood. And we see uh, the instances of Jesus in his life and the love that he showed to people 
He was in Jerusalem. He mourned over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. How often I wanted to gather your children as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. He loved those rascally people, those rebellious people, those scattered sheep. In the garden, the mob that came being led by his own Judas, his disciple, betrayed him. Jesus loved Judas. He called him his friend. My friend, my comrade, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Did Jesus love Caiaphas, that evil high priest, that wicked man? Yes, he loved him. Did he love Pilate, that conniving politician? What is truth, he asked. He loved Pilate. The soldiers who crucified him, he loved them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved the weeping women who loved him. Those women along the road to Golgotha, and he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And his mother and John, the disciples that he saw around there, standing at some distance watching the crucifixion. He loved them all. He knew judgment would come to the wicked. But he didn't delight in justice. His delight was in mercy. To see the wicked forgiven gives him and the Father great joy. He loved them all. He loves them all. He loves us all. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We noticed that verse a few minutes ago. The love of God. To remember Jesus, to remember the good shepherd, is to worship him. We love him because he first loved us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. The love of the Good Shepherd. To remember him is to worship him. And to truly worship him
is to follow him. Paul wrote, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this approach to people, let this attitude toward people be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Follow the shepherd, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't grasp to keep that. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then going back a couple of verses uh, to three and four, with, with that context of having the mind, the attitude, and the motivation of Christ, he says, Paul wrote, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look not, look each of you, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Follow the shepherd. Care about others. Serve others. Surrender to the Father's will. Be faithful and resolute in following him. To die for others. Putting others first. In church life. In family life. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you love me, keep my commandments. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We have briefly uh, thought about, reviewed the lesson of the Good Shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, who cared, cares for his sheep. He pursued his sheep. He redeemed his sheep. He gathered them together and nurtured them. He did the will of the Father. And he was faithful to the end of his work. He continues his work. He suffered and gave his life, all motivated by his great love for the sheep. To remember him is to worship him. And to truly worship him is to follow him and do likewise.